few weeks back, I went out to Connecticut to visit my younger brother who lives out there with his wife, and they're, they're about 15 minutes from the ocean, so whenever the three times I've gotten to visit him there, seeing as much seafood, try to eat as much seafood as possible. And uh, when we were there, we went to this one restaurant that was, it was very near the ocean, like a block from the ocean, and there were some kind of like little like shoals just just right out the window. And as we're, I'm looking at the menu, one of the things that you can do at this restaurant, in the summertime at least, is you can go with them and learn how they catch oysters. So we're there, it was an oyster bar, and as, so just thinking about that possibility, because I, I don't know the first thing about catching oysters or how you get them basically from wherever they hang out in the water and to, to my plate. So that would be kind of interesting, but not anything I know anything about. And thinking about that in terms of this gospel, where Jesus kind of gets, gets into the boat and, and they have this miraculous catch. But it would basically be like if I went on this oyster kind of tour to figure out how oysters are, and as soon as I got in that boat, I started to tell those fishermen how to catch oysters. And they would look at me and be like, dude, you're just some kid from the suburbs of the Midwest, and you probably don't even know how to catch a bluegill, which is very true. But that's the astonishing thing about this gospel. This gospel, Jesus is a carpenter, right? He's, he works with his hands, and he's not from the coast, right? He's not from either the Mediterranean Sea or anywhere around the lake, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. And so he comes, and he, he comes into Simon's boat. And it's not just like this is what Simon did for fun, right? It's not like Peter was just for fun kind of catching fish, and it's what he did to kind of relax on the weekends. But for Peter, you notice there's two boats there, so they got multiple boats, and there's multiple people working there, right? James, John, their, their father Zebedee's in on this. It's a business, right? They're not just like fishing for fun or just fishing to kind of see if they can catch something for dinner. They're, try they're making a living. And so they're professional fishermen who this is the way they make money. And this guy who lives not near the water and who is not a fisherman who works with his hands, he's a carpenter, comes and says, put out into the deep water and for a great catch. And Simon Peter is evidently much more patient and understanding than I am because I know my reaction would have been like, mind your own business, man. Like, let the professionals handle how to fish. And what they say is, we've worked hard all night, we've caught nothing, but it's your command, I will lower the nets. There's this great kind of trust, but you can hear that they've done everything they could, right? They've, they've ex exerted all of their means. And because Jesus isn't like a natural fisherman, and it's not his business, it makes the miracle that happens all the more astounding. If he was a fisherman, it'd say, okay, I guess he just knows where the fish are, right? He knows where the good, the good fish are. But you can imagine as Peter is paddling out, right? He's got to row the boat out to the deep parts. And they're deep because, and they're far out there because when they catch all the fish, they have to signal to the other boat to come out, right? They can't yell. They're not close enough that they can hear their voice, but they got to, they got to flag them down. And so they're way out there, and they have all this miraculous catch of fish, and Peter's reaction, you think about all the different reactions he could have had. If he was a real savvy businessman, he'd be like, how much do you want? Like, I'll hire you and you can come out here and we do this all day. But he realizes there's something more there, that God has visited him, right? That God has come, like this is a miracle. It's not just somebody that knows what they're doing, 
but an overwhelming miracle has happened that God has visited his people. And Peter's reaction is spot on for what happens in the Old Testament, what happens in the scripture when God comes amongst his people. He fell at at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes that he's in the presence of glory. He recognizes that he's in the presence of God, that something incomprehensible is before him. Someone who is beyond anything he could ever imagine is here before him, beyond his thought and completely mysterious. How did this happen, this miraculous catch of fish? And his reaction is awe. And it happens throughout the Gospels. When Jesus has miracles happen, people are amazed and they're afraid. They're in shock at what happens. They stand in awe before him. And yet, at the end of the gospel, Jesus says, you know, invites Peter to follow him. And we hear that Jesus, or that Peter and James, John, and Andrew left everything and followed him. So at the one hand, Jesus is completely other, astonishing, mysterious, incomprehensible. And on the other hand, He wants to be close to him. He invites Peter to follow him, to be his friend, to hear his voice, to know what facial expressions Jesus has, to to experience eating with him. This kind of very different thing. On the one hand, just mind-blowing, overwhelming, incomprehensible, and on the other hand, intimately friendly, close, and of the greatest love. And that's what happens whenever Jesus comes around. That's just who God is. And theologically, is where if you talk about this, on the one hand, we call it transcendence. That God is completely other, incomprehensible. Our human minds can't wrap their heads around it. And on the other hand, transcendence, and on the other one, imminence. That God is close, that he dwells among us through the Holy Spirit, that at our baptism we've been transformed to be like him. And that permeates our entire lives of faith. This otherness, this transcendence, and this closeness, this imminence. You think about it at Mass. At Mass, there's things that are just so close, right? There's hopefully when we walk in, there's a warm greeting. There's somebody that we see, that we sit next to. The gospel that we hear. We've heard those who knows how many times. And yet there's something very other something very different and mysterious about Mass. That's why we have incense. It highlights that there's something here that's incomprehensible. Right? If, if any of us, myself included, says, yeah, I get the Mass, I know it, I've been there, it's so familiar, it's kind of, I, I get it. We're lost. It's absolutely incomprehensible. Sure, we can learn so much, we can experience it, we can know what's coming next, but on the other hand, there's something that goes on here that's not tangible that's beyond our human comprehension, and that's okay. It's really what draws us back. Say, there's there's something there that's beautiful, that's glorious, I can't put my finger on it, but I want to keep coming back. That there is something about our Catholic faith and the Mass that is beyond words. And yet it's so close, it's so intimate, it's so friendly, it's so familiar, it's like home. And we get a touch of this transcendence, this kind of otherness in the first reading. We hear Isaiah having this vision of heaven and the angels, holy, 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 and the frame of the door begins to shake. And he realizes he's somewhere that's different. 
and he says, Woe to me, I am doomed. His reaction to being in the presence of the Lord is being overwhelmed. And that's the way it should be for us. To be in the presence of the Lord at the one hand is so close, is so friendly, so familiar, so loving. And on the other hand, we're amazed and we're astounded. And this is actually, some, in some ways, the way we're supposed to live. Think about somebody in your life, maybe the person in your life that you think is the closest to being a saint. The person, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, a relative, maybe they're alive, maybe they're not. Like, who is a saint? Maybe somebody who's passed, you think, yeah, they, they went straight to heaven. There's something about them that is so intimate, that's so close, that's so friendly, that's so familiar, that when you're in their presence, you feel like you're the only person in the world, and they're completely locked in. They're anticipating your needs before you even know. And yet, on the other hand, there's something about them that you just can't put your finger on. There's something about them that is like they live in a different dimension. Like they are thinking in things in a totally different way, that they're other, that you can't quite put your finger on what it is about them, that they live a whole different way. And that's our path, too. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, if we're going to become like Christ, who is on the one hand close to all he meets, and yet God dwelling amongst us, that's our call, too. That's the life that we live to follow Jesus Christ in this great intimacy that he has with us, yet we're astounded by him because we can't quite grasp him, because our human minds can't wrap our heads around the Lord, and that's okay. And so this Sunday we follow Simon Peter. We imitate Simon Peter, who on the one hand had this incredible experience throughout his life of following Jesus, of knowing him, of going close to him, And yet, on the other hand, St. Peter realizes he was in the presence of something absolutely unfathomable. That being in the presence of Jesus Christ caused Peter to fall to his knees and realize he is unworthy to be there. And that's our path, too, to imitate Simon Peter and recognizing that on the one hand, Jesus Christ is intimately close to us, and on the other, he's absolutely astounding and more than we could ever imagine.